Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here are your co-hosts, Shenandoah Connor and Barron's Hall of Fame top advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Thank you everyone for joining us for another exciting episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. Today we have another very special guest, someone that is very close to the Cutton family. So I'm actually gonna punt it over to John to do the introduction since he knows our guest so well. Thanks Shenandoah. Yeah, really excited uh, today to have a, a good personal friend of mine uh, and someone I have a ton of respect for, a Mr. John Randall. Uh, one of the few who spells his name J-O-N, like I do. So we uh, we bonded together, right, John? That's right. <laughs> uh, no, just... so, absolutely. So I'm really excited and thankful uh, to have you here today. And, uh, you know, we'll learn a little bit about John's history in a bit. But I, I can share, I was actually uh, involved in John's initial hiring in the industry back in 1999. And um, not that I can take much credit for all the successes he's had, um, but he's had a really successful career. And uh, one of the folks that I was able to hire and have a little influence on early on that I'm really proud to, uh, to see what he's accomplished. So, you know, with that, John, maybe you could say a, a quick hello to the audience. Yeah, it's, it's great to be on this. I'll never forget my first year, John Cutton going to a CPA meeting with me and uh, uh, really demonstrating how to do it, how to start that, that kind of relationship. And I remember just thinking, wow, that is how it's done. So uh, it's been a fun journey since, you know, my wife is from right up the road where, where um, Cutton's office is in, in Hop Hog there, which is, you know, what got me to Long Island uh, 21 years ago. And um, my wife's brother was on a baseball scholarship down in North Carolina where we live now. So I was on the island about five years as an advisor uh, and, and I had an opportunity to start fresh when I moved to North Carolina. And I had all these advisors say, hey, John, what's everyone doing in New York? You know, what are the John Cuttons doing? How do they write so much business? And so I showed them. And when I, I moved, I knew what worked in marketing. I knew what didn't. So it took me about a year and a half to build up what it took me five years to build in New York. And I had all these advisors say, oh, my gosh, how did you grow so quick? Would you show me? And, uh, and that sort of launched this coaching consulting that I do. And it's become so big that uh, three years ago, I completely got out of the last bit of my practice. And I just do this full time. I love helping advisors grow. And it's what I get up for every day. Excellent. I think that really brings us to kind of our, new, our next question. Or really, really wanted to start is um, since you're so centered on growing practices, and that's basically what we're about here, quantum growth. Uh, what do you be seen being the biggest drivers for growing a practice? Like you, you figured out the formula. What are those, you know, three to five things you turn them on, you're going to grow? It was really two main categories. In any business, you can do more with existing customers and you can attract new customers. So everything to me in growth falls in those, those two categories. So with existing clients, there's always more that we can be doing. And it could be as simple as contacting them more. That's the number one thing in every survey of clients that want to hear from their advisor more often. There's tons of business to be done with all your clients. They've got other money sitting at the bank that you might not have. Uh, they might have other opportunities to go deeper with advice, maybe some additional products. Um, I think price and value for your services plays in here. Uh, look, we were in this trend in our industry that, that prices are going down. 
and uh, you know, look at other industries and the Motel 6 might lower their price, but the Ritz-Carlton might keep their price the same or maybe increase your price. So, so you gotta think about where you're going in your business. Are you gonna be super high volume, lots and lots of clients to be Walmart and take over the world? Or are you gonna be something special, which I find most practices gravitate there that, hey, I'm gonna be like a Ritz-Carlton, I'm gonna be special, I'm gonna offer a lot more value and have an appropriate price if, if clients wanna go there. You'll be surprised how many clients want to go there and there's tons of opportunities from within. And of course, another opportunity is acquiring new people, whether it's um, you know your Bill Cates referral guru approaches to attract people from what you have. I find niches is probably the best way to acquire new clients. And and I hear a lot of advisors say, well, I don't have a niche. You know, I don't have this uh, awesome CPA relationship like Cutton. I don't have all the executives at this one big company. You know. Every advisor has a niche sitting in front of them, and it might start from one individual client. And I think a lot of you probably have some commonalities if you look at your client base. Where are they? How can you go deeper with them? And look, I've seen people go from two clients to over 100 clients in a certain sector. It may be an employer. It may be um, people that work in the same industry. It may be people that just have something in common. That's a huge, huge growth opportunity. And then outside of that, gosh, there's a massive you know, quantum growth opportunity of acquisitions and mergers. Hey, I think I'm uh, 21 years in a row. I still feel like the youngest person at every conference I go to. There's a lot of gray hairs around these conferences. And over the next 10 years, the number of financial advisors in our industry is expected to be half there's a massive acquisition opportunity. I also think there's an opportunity for this sell and stay. You know, a lot of selling advisors think, well, they have to jump off the cliff and be done. And look, a lot of older advisors, they like coming to the office and tinkering around. Uh, I help uh, a big practice in Florida help with a sell and stay strategy with a gentleman in his 80s. He's in great health, comes to the office early every day. He loves it. He just didn't want to jump off that cliff. So making a home for somebody where they can stay on, uh, maybe have an equity transition, have them stay on, I'm seeing that be really popular. So look, all those create massive growth for practice and the fastest growing ones have action everywhere. They're doing more for clients. They're getting more referrals from their focused niches and they're working some kind of teaming, acquisitions, mergers, stuff in that area, man, that is the throttle to hit the turbo growth mode. You know, Randall, I, I, I forgot how much energy you had, man. Jeez, <laughs> I love it. It's, con it's contagious. So, you know, extremely well said. And I, I heard like, you know, five really smart things in there, uh, if not more, but a couple of pieces. And I think um, what I'd like to do is really kind of separate a little bit on our, our conversation here today. So one piece that I heard you talk about loud and clear is that you know the way to really grow a financial services practice, or quite frankly, probably any business, is attract more clients would be one way to do it, right? Or provide more services to your existing clients through a, a more kind of all-encompassing um, I would say experience, right? Do, do more for the folks that you have. So that was one big piece that I think uh, made a lot of sense. The second that I heard you talk about was niche marketing, right? How do you actually develop 
a particular niche or niche, I like to call it. Mm -hmm. uh, sounds fancier that way. <laughs> uh, and then the third, I think I would kind of categorize as inorganic growth opportunities, right? Growing through acquisitions, whether it be full acquisitions of a retiring advisor or even what you referred to as a kind of sell and stay where you might purchase a, uh, an advisor and he or she might stay with your firm uh, and kind of plug into your systems and processes. So um, love it. And one of the things for the audience that I wanted to point out and I love about John's experience is he was a successful advisor, probably was being a little modest before, ramped up a really successful business very quickly, and then actually had the experience to exit the business and sell it in stages. Um, so he's been on the side of the equation of the seller as well. And then I give you a lot of kudos for kind of following your passion here and really you know, spending your time and energy trying to help lead other advisors. And you and I are kind of like a, you know, a brother from another mother and that we get a lot of our, you know, kind of satisfaction out of doing that. So what I wanted to dig into a little bit is maybe you could just talk a little bit more about how you as a coach help advisors with their existing business, kind of digging into it to be able to create more st growth strategies and then I'll hit you with a, a secondary question as well. So it's really getting out of our own way is probably the biggest thing with existing clients to find those opportunities and in, in to grow. So a lot of the um, uh, things that I've learned as a coach is I've sharpened my saw there over the last 17 years. And I've really gone into the depths of getting like, like the CFP equivalent in coaching. Um, I got a master's degree in coaching right now. I work on my doctor degree in performance psychology. And everything I learned is that we hold ourselves back up here. So with existing clients, we have this way of doing business and it's been going on for a long time. We don't want to disturb the force. So I see a lot of times advisors don't even give the option to do more. They have, oh, this is the way that we do business. This is all that we do. And you don't know if clients are looking for more or if they would you know, walk through that door of another option if you made it available to them. So I, I think that's you know, number one, get out of your own way. And we all have self-limiting beliefs and we're, we're all humans do. Uh, maybe one of you listening is the first that has none, but all of us do. We all have things in our head that, that hold us back. So identifying those, what is it that holding, is holding you back there? Are you worried that, gosh, if I even mention charging more, my clients are gonna leave. So what, what is it there that holds you back from doing it? So I think that's one thing to overcome. And then what's a process that works? You know, how can one advisor charge more than another? You know, they must be really good at just positioning that value. So how other advisors are positioning that value, I think is another way just to overcome that and to get to that new business. The, the other thing is probably time. You know, is all of you listening to this, as you get busier, more stuff gets on your plate, it's harder to dig for opportunities. And it's harder to take that time to really go deep with clients. I, I see a lot of, uh, of successful advisors, larger practices, it'll just be kind of surface level. They go to the clients, let's do enough just to keep their assets around and keep that revenue coming. But there's big opportunities to go deep, to dig in, 
you know, find more assets. What else could you be doing for them? What are their other needs beyond this? And how can you really create more value? And I would think about your relationship with the client. How can you build a moat around them, just like a moat around a castle? And how can you widen it? And every time you bring more value, you're widening that and keeping any competition away. So it's really just getting out of your own way, finding what will work for you. And everyone's different. Everyone's different preferences, what they want to go after. But there's massive opportunities from within. You just got to find what works for you, get out of your own way, and bring massive value, widen that depth, keep all your competition away. I really like that analogy about widening the moat. I'm going to start using that. I'm stealing it. Just saying <laughs> that's a great analogy there. Um, and then also you have to, you know, make it shark infested waters too. You don't want anybody else to try and attempt to cross that and steal your, steal your clients. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I love the moat as well. And again, John, really well said, you know, to, to dig in a little bit more there, um, I love what you're talking about going deeper and kind of changing the way that you think as an advisor. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. Do you kind of advocate a kind of planning fee model to go deeper? Do you do kind of like those different levels of service that I know a lot of advisors do? In fact, we do that in our own practice. Maybe you can just talk a little bit more kind of big picture about how you might have seen advisors be able to go deeper kind of do better work and more comprehensive work and therefore be able to drive the ongoing revenue from, uh, from the clientele by providing more value? It, it probably depends what firm you're at, what direction you go. Um, some firms you can charge for advice. Uh, some firms you, you can't. Um, I think the firms that you, if you can't charge a separate fee, that there's a lot of value there. You know, you look at what's happening just in the last 10 years, you're seeing the asset management fees come down. And according to the Financial Planning Association, you're seeing asset management fees go up. So that's what surprised me about the FPA. If any of you CPAs go to local meetings, I spoke at a national conference once and I was surprised the average fee, how much it's going up. And it just says that America wants advice. They're willing to pay for it. That's your moat that'll keep everyone else out. And not a lot are doing it. I think a lot are doing a, you know, check out this free tool. I'll do it one time. I don't know if people are really going all in on advice. That's the X factor in, in this business. So even if you can't charge for it separately, if you really make it a clear part of your asset management fee that we're going to manage your assets, but we're clearly going to work on key areas of financial planning for you. I think that's a way you can keep them, them, them up. Um, for those of you that are able to charge for that advice, gosh, I've seen people really build a significant business. I mean, a seven figure business within their practice on just advice. Because again, if you make it available to people, you'll be surprised how that's the main thing they want. They want that more than whatever your latest small cap ETF or, or mutual fund choice happens to be, or the firm's choice happens to be. So that unlocks a, a lot of doors. To me, again, that's like the, the, the big moat. There's massive opportunity there. And, and, and to the point of a menu maybe having different options, um, I, I had a business coach help me look at the Marriott Corporation. You know, how does this large firm offer different offerings for lots of different types of customers, right? They've got the Fairfield Inn, that's a great value, less than a hundred bucks. 
You get uh, free breakfast, pretty straightforward. They've got their staple brand, the Marriott. Then they also own the Ritz-Carlton with all the bells and whistles and then some. So I think you could look at the same thing. You know, how could you have your high you know, volume model like a Fairfield Inn? How could you have probably your staple brand that you typically do for clients? But how could you open up the Ritz-Carlton in your practice and have this super special level of service, uh, very intense topics, you know, all that you and your team are capable of at that level? I've seen that work. And I've seen a, it, it, advisors just give that choice to clients that, hey, we can you know, do none of this or we've got three levels. And again, you'll be surprised how many say, you know what? The, the items of value on the menu or the topics, I really need help with that. You know, I could use some of these things. This is what I want. And I remember one advisor trying this. Uh, they said, there's no way my clients will never go for this. This is nuts. And they tried it. And they laid out some different options. And, and one client said, hey, I really want this top option. And he said, you probably don't. That's an extra 5000 a year. And they said, yeah, that's really worth it. Because if I could get more of you and if I could get help with these things, that's way worth it for me. So I've seen that to be a big revenue generator to, to grow your practices, have different options. It controls your time too. You can do more at the top where you should I think uh, a lot of people spend too much time in the middle or in smaller clients and uh, by accident, your services become, you know, kind of designed for them without intending it where it should be designed for your top people. So it controls time, less time, high value mo model, you know, more time at the top where most of your revenues come from. Just like the Marriott Corporation, same thing. You know, they, they're uh, got a thin profit margin on that Fairfield Inn where there's like 400 of those. They're in every corner of America. I think there's 32 Ritz-Carlton's in America. That's their profit. They make massive profits more on those 32 than they make it at all the others. So it, it's great to learn from these other businesses and apply. But I think that financial planning advice is your X factor. That is your silver bullet that'll keep clients around forever. But it's also your opportunity to provide more value and charge appropriately for it. Yeah, John, well, well said. A um, couple of just quick follow-up questions. And I, I again, believe uh, everything that you said wholeheartedly. Um, I know part of your training, I know you, you are, are, are an expert in this, in fact, kind of talks through behavioral change, right? And I know that's a big part of what you do. So I'm gonna hit you, uh, which I famously do on this podcast with two questions at once. Um, one would be, you know, what are the things that need to happen for the advisor? Just some simple things, maybe two or three simple ways for an advisor to start to change, because I know change is hard. Um, so that would be my first question. And then the second question would just be, I know there are advisors out there and we've done some of this in our practice, in fact, that kind of advocate reducing the size of the business, right? Shrinking the business from a clientele perspective to ultimately grow and making sure that as you grow, you're doing it with kind of your target market. And I'm just curious to see if you've helped advisors through that and kind of what your experience is. Yeah, I mean, you said it best, change is hard. It's probably the hardest thing for human beings to do. Just the way that we're wired, our brain craves routines and kind of equilibrium. So when you throw something different, your mind says, this does not compute, you know, let's, let's not go there anymore. 
And uh, it's a your brain will uh, even trick you to going back to where that equilibrium lies. So, uh, so you've got to consciously take that leap into doing something different. And I'll say for all of you listening, the things that got you to this point in your practice, there's going to be different things that get you to that next point. You're going to have to change. And I see countless times people will hit a glass ceiling because the way they do things only got them so far. So you're gonna to have to change often in your career and, and be nimble and go through those changes. So what, what, a, an easy way, I mean, one, listening to these is great. I mean, it, it's learning of what's possible. But I think a great way to change is listen to your clients, listen to what they want. You know, again, we have this way that we've kind of do business and if you really stop and listen to what they want, you could adapt and make those changes. So for example, like using this, this menu and opening up a whole new door, you might get a small group of clients you really trust and maybe the ones you're designing these things for and a little group, maybe a little advisory board and ask for their feedback on, gosh, I, I, I wanna make more available, how do I do it? What should I offer? What should I charge? How should I talk to clients about it? And, and you'll start to see that, hey, they want more from me. I can start to see it. Then all of a sudden you have a mindset shift and you really have to have a mindset shift up here before you have a behavioral shift is, is really the biggest thing I've learned in, in coaching. I, I fell on my face doing coach consulting you know, 15 to 17 years ago because I was giving out tons of best practices, but they weren't working for people. And I couldn't figure out why because they worked for others but people had something up here that was holding them back. So you got to identify what are those anchors or self-limited beliefs holding you back. And I think conversations with clients can start to help you see, gosh, if I thought about this differently, clients might want something different. Then you can start behavioral change. Then the results come. And then it's really a cycle that once the results come, it reinforces that, hey, this different way of thinking works. And then that becomes your new norm. And, uh, and it just cycles through. So that's, that, 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 that's a big one. And look, it's, it's hard. I work with two coaches myself just to help me through some of this stuff because we, we all need it. None of us are, are, are perfect and can just, uh, you know, come out of the gates, uh, you know, a perfect human being. Again, maybe one of you is out there listening, but, uh, uh, we, we just, we need to get out of our own way and find ways to shift here. No, absolutely. And I really liked what you said about the change and listening to clients and, and being responsive to that as an impetus for change and tying that back to what you said earlier about advice that they're willing to pay for it, that they want that. Cause I think we were starting to see that in the industry, but the pandemic really accelerated that demand for that advice and the advisors that have really succeeded during this time frames are the ones that were very adaptable not just to moving to the remote and what has really been making the headlines but being responsive to what clients are looking for and and having that feedback loop with clients and being able to redesign their practice to be able to serve what they're hearing absolutely so uh part two of the question hit me with that again john <laughs> this is what he's famous for. He throws too many at people and then they forget what they are. We need to have like a chalkboard <laughs> or something. That's what we need. <laughs> I, my, my brain just goes really, really quick. I love it. Like, I love well, it. his two part it, questions usually turn into three or four parts. I was actually very proud of you for keeping it to two parts. I did want to point that out. <laughs> yeah, no, my pleasure. And uh, I, I, uh, I, 
I, I do it sometimes because I don't want to forget the second question. But in this case, I think the question was kind of shrink to grow, John, right? Yes. Um, which is, have you seen advisors? Because I, I hear it sometimes, even with my own advisors, right, where I want them to be in a position to go deeper and deeper with their clients and provide more. Um, and sometimes they feel like they're so busy in their routine, as you said earlier, kind of delivering what they're used to, that the concept of just changing um, and doing more becomes overwhelming. So I know of advisors who've done one or two things. They've either literally sold a, a part of their business that's generally their lower end part of their business so they could do more for their best clients or they bring in a junior advisor uh, to transition some of those relationships uh, over time. So just curious in your coaching experience, if, you, if you're an advocate of that, if you've seen that happen successfully, uh, that kind of thing. I'd say this is the number one conundrum in practices. It's, it's capacity. You know, think about it, you, you do a good job for clients, even if you don't do uh, anything, even if you don't use Bill Kate's you know, re referral talking points, you're going to get new people. They're going to be attracted to you if you're doing a good job. And if you're at that point that, gosh, you're bringing new people, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It just, it happens. Um, I talked to a really fast growing practice in Atlanta this morning and they're, they're getting, you know, five to six new clients every week referrals. They're just calling in, Hey, you work with so-and-so we want to work with you. They're awesome new clients. And they're like, we need this to stop <laughs> because it's, just, it's too much. And, and, and so, yes, you've got to find a way to keep your capacity going. And there's lots of ways to handle it. I mean, it is easy to just carve off, hey, let me take half my book and ship it off. You would be shocked how little revenue, production, GDC, whatever you want to call it, the bottom half of your book, half. I'm not talking about like the bottom 10%. The bottom half typically produces in the low single digit percentages of your revenue. It's shocking. And imagine if you eliminated half your time and barely felt it from a revenue standpoint, how much more you could do. I mean, you have a small number of new clients you do more with uh, that you accept, or you just go deeper with some existing clients. You can make up the revenue so quickly by shaving off the bottom of, of your book. Now, as you do that more, it kind of, you know, you're not going to shave off a low you know, 4% of your GDC by cutting half, you know, as you do it other times, it's going to be more. But if you analyze what you generate with your top clients, I mean, one or two more of them, you can eliminate the bottom half. So, and it doesn't have to be shipping them off. Maybe th this is where practice bring in another advisor to either partner with or into your practice to do some of that servicing. Um, it could be, you know, partnering with another advisor in general, maybe they're in another practice to say, look, I need help with some of these conversations. It could be taking over the relationship or I see some people experimenting with, um, I'm going to do one meeting a year to keep the relationship, but I need you to do all the other interactions throughout the year. So there's many ways to do it, but capacity is so key. We're all going to be paying attention to that. Yeah, John, awesome. Um, we've done some of that in our business, so I, I couldn't agree more. And I think when, when you're explaining it, that bottom 50% of the client base, I think so many advisors have a hard time actually seeing that. And, and quite frankly, you know, seeing their business as a business, right? Because 
if half of your clients, if you've got 300 families or 250 families that you take care of, if 125 of your 200 families represent 10 or less percent or 15 or 20 percent of your revenue, um, and that's preventing you from actually doing more for your very best clients and charging them planning fees and doing more and winning more outside money, it's kind of like a dog chasing its tail, if you think about it, right? Yeah, it, it is. And I, I love this exercise. Um, it's, it's very simple. Everyone can do it now on your computer, on a piece of paper. Write down your total revenue, total GDC, divided by the number of clients that you have, and then divide that by the number of hours you spend with those clients per year. You get a quick rough calculation of what your average hourly revenue rate is. Any client that's under that, you've got to develop the mindset, you are losing money when you work with those people. Now we hold on to them because, oh, they started with me 20 years ago and they're so nice and we create all these reasons that we should be working with these, these small people. And uh, you've got to develop the mindset, you are losing money. You're purposely losing money. I, I'd rather see you go in the parking lot and light a pile of cash on fire. It will be a hell of a lot more fun and save a lot more time than you spend in all these meetings with all these small people. So you, you've really got to have that approach and how can I move that hourly average up? How can I get to that level that, gosh, I'm generating five figures per client per year and really moving towards that to be your average instead of these you know, ones that produce in the hundreds per year. There's no way that you're, you're, you know, making money, they're absolutely losing money. Love it. Yeah. And um, just to bring it back, John, one of the things that you said before that I just wanted to highlight that I think was super smart is you talked about, um, I think you called it an advisory council or a client advisory council where, you know, where you can actually get a group of your favorite clients, I think is what you, what you had said, maybe your most trusted and favorite clients, those that you have the best relationship with, and to say, hey, here's what I'm thinking about doing. I'm thinking about charging for advice or having a menu of services where you know there's a silver, gold, and platinum type level. Um, and I just wanted to hit that again because it was one of the nuggets that I heard that kind of as we got you know in, into more of the meat of some of these other topics, um, I wanted to just make sure the audience heard that. It's these simple things. So two really important takeaways to simplify are number one, think about that client advisory council, right? And then number two, what I think John just talked about a minute ago was figure out how you segment your client base, right? Where does your revenue come from? Um, the, top, the bottom 50% is generally driving such a small piece of the revenue. And when you think about kind of changing what you do, which John said before is really, really difficult. Um, those two pieces, if you execute on those two things in a small way, you can start to make some really big progress towards your goal. So I could talk about this subject forever, but what I'd like to do, John, I wanted to also just ask you, you know, earlier, you, you know, we, we kind of broke down a few different uh, variables or uh, in your opening remarks. How do you build a niche, right? So one of the things we talked about was, I'm gonna shift gears now from serving clients and doing more with the client base that you have to how do you actually bring new clients into the practice utilizing what you referred to before as niche or niche marketing? Yeah, I think the, 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 the niche, 
it's all about developing it. Even if we start it from one person or two people, whether you have a hundred clients at one place, there's always deeper that, that we can go. So look, it, it starts with being the expert for that group of people. Even if you just say you're the expert of that group of people before you become it, that's really what it starts with. And it's easier to become known in a niche. With a smaller group of people, you can become known to like every single person in your area. That, that's kind of hard to get access to all those people. But if you have a smaller audience, you can get known in that group. So that's what you're trying to do. How do you get access to those people? And, and anyone that's already in this niche, that's really who you need to build things around. So, um, you know, when it comes to these boards, I found these boards to be really helpful there as well. Um, now, I remember doing a client advisory board with the wholesaler and it was sort of, they facilitate a way that they gave feedback. It all turned into, well, I don't like your firm statement, um, your website, I don't like this about, I mean, we, we can't control that stuff. I'm a fan of advocacy boards. So if you do have somebody who's open to referring you or maybe someone who has referred you in the past, that's somebody that we could get a lot of knowledge from. So even if we just have one person, we should be asking them, gosh, how could I be meeting more people just like you? And just stop and listen, let them give you the guide. They might give you something that, that's incredible. One of my best growth stories I've worked with advisory grows business by 10 times, 215 revenue to actually about 2.8 million over a 10 year period. And it all started with this, this, this niche. I was sitting right in front of them. He couldn't see it. I said, gosh, I have two people that work at this place. They referred to other people. They're all really good clients. They're super easy to work with. I wish I could more work with more people like them. They built out the, this, this advisor built out this like elaborate marketing plan of all the stuff he was going to do. And the next session I asked him, Hey, wh what did these people in the net, what do they think about it? I said, well, I said, what, what do you mean? I said, well, they're the ones this is for. Don't you think we should get their feedback? And he asked one of them who was pretty, you know, frank and told it like it was. And he said, yeah, none of that's going to work. Here's what you do. After work, we go to this place on Thursdays and have a beer. If you show up, you'll just meet everyone. And, and, and this advisor went seven Thursdays in a row and he had to stop going. He brought in over 30 million in new assets that year from that little happy hour because they were all right there. And it was so simple. So just asking those people, how can I help more people like you? That's a, 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 an access point. The other part that you can influence here, sometimes you might need to manufacture an opportunity. So maybe there's an item of value with the company that that person's working for or the industry that they're in, you're trying to do more with, um, like for a surgeon or a doctor, something like that. If you find an item of value that works for one client or one person, you can use that to send to others. So then you can manufacture the, hey, here's other people uh, that that could benefit from this. Let's share it with them. And that could probably accelerate them coming to you much quicker. So whether it's, it's, it's your advocates getting it to other people, that's one way. Or I see people sort of targeting their marketing scream on, um, 
on social media. So a tool like LinkedIn, you could find out, hey, who's all the other people that are working at this firm? And if you have things that are very valuable to people working at that firm, that's how to accelerate the niche. That's how to get it going quicker. So just remember, you've got to be the expert at, at helping those people. Again, even if you just have to say you're the expert to start, keep finding those items of value that other people are going to want to get from you and get them out there. Use your advocates, listen to them, ask them what you should do, do those things, and then also manufacture some opportunities to get access to those next people. That's how I'm telling you how it turns two clients into 100 clients really, really quickly. No, that's fantastic. And that really hones into a lot of, I mean, I say it all the time and, and you just hear it from somebody in the marketing background. You can't be everything to everyone, but once you start getting really focused on who you're going after and then providing that value, because just think of it on an individual basis, you want someone who understands you and it's going to do right by you. It's not trying to cram you into a one size fits all solution. So it's just going to be a lot more applicable. It's going to be easier for them to draw those connections and you're going to get that personal connection so much more quickly because they are going to feel that it's truly designed for them and that you're serving them specifically. So I love that. Um, and I want so to right. You, you, you become like a little to a lot of people when you try and service everyone, right? Exactly. You can't be everything, to, but you can be everything to a few. And that's the most profitable practices I've seen in our industry. John, did I hear you right? seven Thursdays nights going out for a beer and $30 million. That sounds like a really good use of seven Thursdays. Pretty good ROI yeah. too. <laughs> just think about amazing opportunities that are just sitting there. They're out there and uh, we just got to find them. Sometimes they're really easy and they'll present themselves or someone just opens the door and you walk right in. But uh, it, it's, I mean, that's a game changer right there. I mean, that's pretty, uh, pretty good one, but they're, they're possible. This could be duplicated in, in so many niches. Absolutely. And I, you brought something up that also kind of got me thinking. So we talked briefly about inorganic activity in the beginning, um, but I think this concept of niche marketing is also pretty key in how you determine from an acquisition standpoint, what opportunities you go after there. And I think it's something that a lot of advisors don't think about. They just think about, is it in my area or is it my broker dealer? But there's this concept of, are they serving the same client niche as well? That is a really important factor to consider on an M&A front. I don't know if you wanna to touch on that really quickly. Yeah, it's a really neat aspect because look, if there's a good niche out there, you're going to be swimming with the sharks. There's going to be a lot of other advisors working that same one or, or going after it. Um, like for the, the, a lot of large practices I, I coach in the Houston area, the oil industry, I mean, their, their employees, I mean, they're, they're massive. They're all well in the seven figure employees, but you, you go in that game and you're swimming with the sharks. It is intense competition to work with those people all over the country there's so many examples of the same thing so what a great acquisition opportunity that somebody that's already working that space that might be older than you you could acquire or maybe someone that's struggling to to work that space that could be some kind of merger opportunity i, I think that really you know circles these growth opportunities of not just getting more people organically from that group but yeah you could really produce some inorganic action with acquisitions that's uh that's congruence, right? That's tying it all together. I think that's really special. Well said. Um, John, when you think about, you talked about this kind of concept earlier about kind of sell and stay, right? Which for our audience, 
Um, obviously, I think we're all kind of familiar with the old fashioned acquisition. Someone hits 60 or 65 and uh, they're ready to retire and sell their business and, and monetize uh, their business and looking for the right successor. Can you tell the audience a little bit more about what you mean when you talk about a, a sell and stay and why would an advisor want to be the seller, if you will, in a sell and stay? And then also, why would someone want to become the buyer? Maybe you can kind of talk about both sides of how you've seen those transactions and kind of what's in it for each, uh, each participant. If most advisors enjoy talking with their clients most. A lot don't enjoy the minutia. You know, if you're an independent advisor and you're hiring your own people and managing them, a lot of advisors don't enjoy that part of the, 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 the business. You know, they were never taught management skills or, or leadership skills for other people. They just want to talk to their clients. So that's probably been the, the, the number one catalyst to say, you know what, I just want to be an advisor. I just want to talk to my favorite clients and I want all this other stuff to go away. So that can be a, a reason to do something with the seller that look, we'll make that happen for you. You know, we'll absorb your people. We'll help run the operations and lead your people and, and you have fun and, and do what you want. So that could be, you know, some kind of like merger or teaming arrangement, or it could be, hey, let's just purchase your equity. We'll pay a salary to, to hang around. And if you get some new clients or grow, we'll give you some bonuses, but we'll make it real simple for you. And, um, and gosh, you know, really swoop up a practice, you know, really easily there. So that, that's, I've seen that probably been uh, the biggest motivator here with a lot of these sell and, and stays. And a, a lot of, uh, advisors don't realize it's 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 possible to do, and and again going back to that jumping off the cliff, a lot of just don't want to end and 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 be done. You know, I look at if my own father is in his mid seventies. I mean, he could retire, but he doesn't want to. He likes playing office. He plays golf three times a week on weekdays, but he has fun tinkering, playing office. And there's so many advisors in that boat. They want to have something to do. They want to stay on in some capacity, and it's usually working with their favorite people, their their favorite clients. That if if you create that for somebody, I mean that that could be uh, utopia. I mean that could be the heaven that someone's looking for. That you make it easy for them, you remove their headaches, you give them exactly what they want. I'd be seeking that in any of these kind of uh, you know merger acquisition deals because people will want to stay for sure. Yeah, John, I, I, I think you're right on. Um, I think three of my last five acquisitions in my practice um, have been sell and stays. Uh, and, I, and, and by the way, up until probably two years ago, there were no sell and stays. So I think, I think there's a breed of advisor who, um, and there's a lot of them out there that want to, to your point, get out of the minutia, get out of the you know, 50, 55, 60 hour work weeks, all the stress um, but be able to kind of try out that downsize, if you will, and take some of those stressful activities off their plate, but also know that they protected their equity for their significant other or their spouse and their family, and that there's actually a true succession plan in place. I, mean, I think it's pretty obvious, but what would you say if you're on the other side of the transaction as the acquirer, and as an example, what I've done with these three practices, what's in it? for that, that you know, kind of quasi buyer, if you will. 
Yeah, so to, the big one is you're locking in a, a, an acquisition at some point, right? They're, they're, whether you're, you're buying it now and, and keeping them in there. I mean, look, there's a nice profit margin there from making the purchase. You've got someone who already knows those clients who's working with them. They're going to stay. You don't have the risk of attrition in a, in a transaction like that. As long as you get your numbers right and you got a profit margin, what an awesome deal. And um, at your firm, I mean, you might have those assets in your books and maybe hit some uh, uh, break points on your payout or, or however your, your grid works at your firm. It, it helps a lot. But I, I think, I mean, look at what, what John Cutton's built. You've got a lot of, 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 of deals where it worked for everybody, but the firm has a profit margin in that arrangement. So as a business owner for you independents, I mean, that's that's really what you're, you're looking for here, but you're, you're growing quickly through that. And look, you grew really quickly and you're not taking on, you know, hundred plus client relationships. You still got someone who's doing the work, which is, which is huge. You don't have to go out and, you know, hire another advisor or do a, a lot of work on that, that end. Now there might be some work to, you know, in the support that might, you might want to get involved some with their top clients and help. You might want to get another, another advisor on, on your team to help, but it's a, it's an easier growth strategy, surprisingly. So you can get into these mergers and acquisitions without it being a ton of work, which is most people's fear. So great one on the acquisition side. And then you probably have time to plan when that advisor is getting out to load up and prepare for capacity, make sure you've got enough advisors on, on play. A lot of you listening, you'll probably extract some of the top clients in a deal like that down the road and leverage others to do a lot of the work. So great profitable growth strategy. I think, you know, having a slow timeline with those works great. And said, you always want to avoid these jumping off the cliffs. It's, uh, it's traumatic for clients. It creates a lot of work for the buyer and uh, it can be pretty hectic in there. Yeah, absolutely. I think the two really big takeaways out of what you just said was the, the, the minimizing the attrition and being able to reach capacity. As I think in what I've seen in the M&A, um, you know, our experience that we've had is that, um, and, and just with my work with other M&A firms, is that that's where the good deal can go, I wouldn't necessarily bad, but could make it very stressful and challenging for the client, for the advisor, the staff. Um, and so the sell-in states have really been almost a best of both worlds kind of solution for everyone, it seems. So um, excellent. And I think that too brings us to the end of our time here. Um, I do want to make sure we have some time to let everyone um, know about where they can reach you, but also to let them know that we are partnering up on a few things. You're going to see a lot coming out from, um, I'll call it John Squared. You've got D2 there in your background, but now we've got J Squared here happening. Um, we're going to be offering everyone a free assessment so you can get a sense of where you're at with your practice and thinking about where, are, where is that glass ceiling for yourself? Uh, we'll have that in the show notes, a link for you to be able to take that assessment and start kind of gauging where you're at. Um, we'll also have some other assets coming out here pretty quickly. So a lot of that will live on the Cutton Consulting Group website. But if someone wanted to reach out to you directly, John, where would they be able to find you? Yeah, my email's best. Uh, we, we can put that out there. Um, I'm happy to talk with you. Gosh, usually I'm speaking at conferences doing this stuff. I'm kind of liking it doing here from the office. So, uh, so I, I do have, I do keep limited time every week to do some sessions with people who like what they're hearing here, who really want to grow and do more. So shoot me an email, even if you just want um, uh, an article or just pop out a question, I'd love to answer it. Want to set up some time to chat. We'll certainly make that available for you. 
Great, thank you so much. John, any last words? Yeah, uh, Randall, you're the man, bud. Thanks for uh, for being on. I thought you did a, a great job and uh, I, I love nuggets. So lots of really good nuggets in there. And, you know, I, I will share um, in, in you know, being close with John for a number of years and knowing a lot of the folks in the industry that John uh, has coached uh, from all different broker dealers and wires and regionals and independents and RIAs, you name it. Uh, his advisors love him and adore him uh, and grow really quickly. Uh, and he's got lots of data to support uh, how he's helped advisors grow. So um, my hope is if you're, you know, kind of listening in today and thinking about, you know, as John kind of put it, the three parameters, right? How do you do more for the clients that you have, become more valuable, grow your revenues, grow your profits, and grow the experience you have with your clients by being more valuable? Two would be, how do you really engage in niche marketing and be in a position that you can serve a particular segment really well, become the expert in that niche so that you can grow in a very quantum way. Um, and then lastly, how do you grow inorganically uh, through acquisitions, uh, whether they be full or whether they ultimately be these kind of stay in sales. So John, thanks for, uh, for joining us today and for all your wisdom. And Shenandoah, I'll let you take it away. Yeah, absolutely. I think we will be seeing John again in the near future. Lots of great nuggets. Well, thank you once again, everyone, for joining us for the Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors podcast. We look forward to seeing you next week as we invite another wonderful guest to the show. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next week.